Welcome to episode 46 of Rising Tide, the Ocean Podcast. This is David Helvarg and my co-host, as usual, the Inland Mermaid herself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Hello there, everyone. So today we're talking with Chris Dixon and Jeremy Spencer, the co-authors of a newly surfaced book, The Ocean, the Ultimate Handbook of Nautical Knowledge. And I have to say, it's a fun compendium of information, illustrations, and essays by top watermen and women. Uh, it's well worth diving into. So topics include boating, surfing, science, survival, scuba, snorkeling, fishing. Um, Chris, let's start with you. Sure. Uh, when did you and Jeremy decide to uh, focus down on a specific topic like, say, 71% of the planet? And how did you decide to go about that? It was, it, it's funny because I had worked for Jeremy. Jeremy had edited some of my stuff at Outside um, in the past. And then he and I, he was gracious enough to tap me to collaborate on a book called The Southerner's Handbook that the most curiously titled Garden and Gun magazine um, commissioned him to, uh, to oversee a while back. And, um, and so, you know, we had a, we'd already had a really good working relationship. And the, the idea for the book actually I brought to him, um, it, it was a couple of different places that it came from. One was um, a gentleman named Brian Lamb, who I'm not sure if you if you know David, but he he uh, founded the Wire Cutter, uh, which is that big product review site on the New York Times. And, and then the more that we started talking about it, the more it actually sounded like a book. Um, and you know, and and then that was sort of further accentuated um, with a conversation that I was fortunate to have over breakfast with Jimmy Buffett. Um, and I, I spent a year traveling with him from 99 to 2000, which was a whole other really interesting, fun uh, way to spend a year. Um, and so, you know, Jimmy really latched on to, to the idea as well. And, and he and I just sort of brainstormed over breakfast burritos and, um, and then I, I you know, put the I put a put a proposal together and and took it to Chronicle Books and and with Jeremy, you know, at, at that point I contacted Jeremy and was like, you know, what do you think about this? Anytime I had the chance to work with Chris, I did. And when he came to me with this idea, you know, it, it's it, one of those things I think that you and and this is I'm not trying to be too shop talking on the publishing side, but what. We, what you do is you think, for me at least, you think, okay, is there a need for this? Yep, check. Is this something that I'm personally connected to and that I have a kind of passion for that will, you know, make sure that it's good and that I really feel strongly about it? Check. Um, and then the other thing is, is, does the market need it? Check. And then, of course, I, you know, Chris answered those same questions as well. And, um, yeah, you know, we just we decided like let's go for this um, because let's be honest with with uh, books, it's um, it's a funny market. You know, you can have people who spend twenty years of their life writing the you know what they think is the great American novel and just doesn't sell for anything or never sells and doesn't go anywhere. But when you can make something like this that you know people will love and enjoy and will provide utility and pleasure, you know, inform inspire, entertain, it's just, you know, it's a great opportunity to collaborate on a project. Um, so, 
yeah, I mean, we dove right in. And we, we sold it immediately, so it was great. The book is absolutely beautiful. I mean, I love the colors. It's laid out. Um, it has so many fun topics. I, I think it's just a really neat compilation. And I love how you call it, in a way, the Poseidon's Bible. Like what a, what a neat way to frame all of these categories and topics. Um, and because there are so many stories in here and tips, can you just, both of you, just quickly tell me one of your, your favorite section or your favorite story in the book? I'll go first. I'll say that I, I actually enjoy it all. One of our aims with the book was, you know, we really, when we were talking about it and thinking about it and putting it together, is we thought, this is for our kids, but we want adults to read it and be just as thrilled and excited. And we also want it to be, you know, very legit. So there's deep, cutting-edge reporting. And that's why I think actually my favorite section, there's so, there's so much fun how-to, but the stuff that I really get into is the science. So the science chapter is the most fun for me. But, you know, there's also um, the, there's a, there's a, a bit on uh, sunscreen that is definitely cutting-edge reporting and that is so informative and so helpful. And, and uh, yeah, that's the kind of thing where, I, I mean, I have taken bits of the PDF of the book uh, and send them to people, but that's the one that I've sent the most. One of the interviews that I did was with Angel Yanagahara, who's a jellyfish scientist from University of Hawaii at Manoa, and she's a genius. Um, that's the only straight-up way you can put it. And, you know, there's so much misinformation out there on jellyfish, right? I mean, what do you do if you get stung? And and so in, ter in practical terms, I mean, I got stung like hell by a box jellyfish um, about two weeks ago, three weeks ago here at Folly Beach while I was out surfing. And I saw the little thing, you know, it wasn't it wasn't. Oh, I wonder what stung me. I saw him when he came up. And, you know, because of talking to Angel and writing this book, I knew what not to do. And what I probably would have done, even though I've grown up around the ocean, would have been to have rinsed it with fresh water, which if there's tentacles left on your skin, that's the very one of the very worst things you can do because the tentacles are essentially invisible and then you can just get completely lit up again if you try to if you try to rinse them off. And and Angel had actually developed this this product for the military um, that she used with Diana Nyad. Um, she was on the boat with Diana Nyad when Diana swam from from Cuba to Key West and she developed this product that, that ended up you know, for the military called Sting No More, and I, I had a little thing of it in my trunks, and it's it's vinegar and a number of other complex uh, secret ingredients that she has in it, and it, it saved my butt, you know, literally. I mean, I was out there, I put my leg up on my surfboard and sprayed myself down, but if I hadn't had that, I would have at least had a little spray bottle of vinegar, you know, with me based on the conversation that I had with Angel so that I would know, you know, okay, the first thing you've got to do is deactivate the stingers that are left on you, so... I know that's a it's kind of a roundabout answer to your question, but I really there were there were so many sort of ahas in the in the book that came from the reporting. Another one was the lead the lead essay we have, which is a conversation with Shannon Scaff, who's a Coast Guard rescue pilot. And Shannon said, you know, the most common one of the most common ways that people die boating is from peeing over the side and falling in the water. And you know, again, it was just it was these little pieces of knowledge like that that could could hopefully really save somebody's life. So for me, I guess the the information that'll really help 
somebody stay safe on the water and trying to, you know, with Jeremy's help, because he's, Jeremy's so good at honing in on like, okay, what do we need? What do we not? You know, it was, it was going through that stuff with him to figure out, okay, what is the really important, um, stuff that we need to pass on to people in an entertaining and, you know, factual, you know, science-based way, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it. Well, it's, it's quite a, uh, exceptional phenomena that you uh, managed to save yourself by taking advice from the book you wrote. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly um, right. I, I know as somebody who actually got shipwrecked on the Sea of Cortez, I was very taken with your section on island survival mm, uh, very when cool. you're shipwrecked. But you got so much in there. I'm just wondering um, how much you actually retain. So I'm going to ask you mm. four questions from your book to sure. see if That's you know. A, ooh, this is good. Uh, <laughs> I'll say I'll run them through and you respond. All four. What's the difference between a PFD and a BCD? What's the biggest creature in the ocean? Um, what's most likely to kill you scuba diving? And what's the uh, pirate's code? <laughs> oh lordy well the blue whale is the biggest thing that's ever lived that one's easy eh, wrong you say it's the lion's mane jellyfish well the oh, lion's mane is right. the longest but the big whale but the blue whale is the <laughs> the blue mass. whale is the most massive but the lion's mane is the longest so it's a trick question that David is asking yeah that here. was trick you said biggest <laughs> And okay. then, um, was it, David, we will no longer need your services. <laughs> <laughs> so was it? PFD, BCD. BCD, buoyancy compensation device and, um, and personal flotation and personal device. flotation device. One down, one up. Yeah. And then what, what else we got, David? What was the other? Um, uh, what's most likely to kill you scuba diving. Something, um, as a scuba diver is very important. The, if I recall correctly, the most, the most common thing that will, that will kill you scuba diving is, uh, is decompression sickness essentially, right? I, I'm going with panic, but. Well, panic, yeah, but de decompression right, sickness right. because of panic. It's a panic, question. Yes. Exactly. But panic could kill you in any setting, whether you're diving, yes. trying to get up from a riptide or just, you know, feeling yeah, because you can't focus. You can't right. focus. Yeah. But, but again, that's sort of a trick question. But yeah, you it, the, you you get the bends from panicking yeah. because you try. <laughs> well, yeah. You try to surface so fast. I thought that you would pee if you got you would pee on your jellyfish sting. Nope. Since we're talking about Pete, I know, and I read that, and I was like, oh, my gosh, all my life, that was my go-to. Mm -hmm. so, Urban legend. Thank goodness, I'm, thank goodness I have your book. Number four, and this is, this is an easy one because everybody would be interested. Uh, what's the pirate's code? The pirate's code, there are, there are a bunch of different rules in the pirate's code, um, uh, you know, which I found really interesting. Um, yeah, the pirate's code was basically sort of the laws by which pirates loosely are supposed to live. And, 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 and there's the scene in um, one, of the, one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies. Jeremy might remember which one because we both watched them with our kids, but where, where Barbosa says... Well, there are more guidelines than 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 uh, than than actual set laws or something. You remember that, Jeremy, where there, where she yes, said, "You must love give it. us parlay." But the pirates' code was basically this 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 kind of more 
amorphous but but direct set of of uh, laws that that pirates had to follow. Among them were, um, interestingly, you know, laws against rape, um, and uh, you know, it, it was messing with a quote unquote prudent woman. Um, there was uh, there were ones um, that had to do with if you if you lost a limb in the course of battle, you would be compensated X number of shillings and gold pieces. And, and if you um, were caught, I don't remember what it was that you were doing, maybe burning a candle below decks, you would be lashed because, of course, burning a candle below decks is, it could be an incredibly dangerous thing to do. Um, and if you drank rum without permission, you'd be, you'd be cast off on an island. And, uh, and, and left by your crew. So it was a pretty, it was actually a pretty strict, you know, seeming set of rules. I'm sure there were lots of, uh, of, um, leeway given depending on the, the demeanor of the captain. But yeah, that, that well, was most of the, most, most of the rules are about how to divide the booty up, mm -hmm. which obviously, is what everybody wanted to know because they had decided to enter into a life of piracy. Correct. And then the other one uh, that I remember that I really like is you can't uh, don't you can't hit each other on board the ship. If you've got a problem, we throw you on the beach and you finish it with swords or pistols. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Which is kind of like Thunderdome well, in a way. Like yeah. Exactly. Since we're moving into kind of behavior with this last conversation, um, I want to say that I totally enjoyed all the science in the book and um, all the tips for survival. But I was really captivated by the section called Become an Ocean Warrior. Hmm. And I saw that angel tree a couple of years ago and was really impressed with the woman who saved it. You talked about seven different um, actions or seven mm -hmm. different components to be an ocean warrior. Um, can you just highlight a couple of those, the yeah, ones that me, really resonate with you? Yeah, and I'll, while I'm looking that up, I'll tell you a little bit about um, Samantha Siegel. Um, she didn't have a background in environmental science or environmental advocacy. She found out about, and, and Vicki, you spoke of the angel oak tree. It's just an incredible tree on John's Island, um, not very far from, from where I'm fortunate to live and it we, nobody knows how old it is but it's probably the largest living thing east of the mississippi east of the sierras for that matter um and th there was going to be a development that nearby that would have really threatened it and samantha just just really trained herself and uh and 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 and, and i mean at the most grassroots level uh led in opposition to to the project that that uh you know, eventually led to a park being created around the tree. And I, I thought that was really fascinating. And then, and then you know, the fact that her work for the Angel Oak helped lead directly to her, her extremely effective work for Oceana, you know. So, yeah. So with that, I have her, could, could I have I? her chapter. I'd be glad to go through some of her, some of her points. Um, before you do. Yeah. Before you do, could I suggest that, uh, being named Seagull might have faded her for this kind of work. <laughs> I think you're absolutely right. I think you're absolutely or right. Or inspired her. Or inspired her, right, or both. So she, so, you know, one of the things that, that she said, like her, her number one thing is find your issue. And, and I think that, that that's really important um, 
for any number of reasons because you know she makes the point um, you she, she if if there's an issue that you're really wanting to focus on that that you think you can make a, an impact on you unfortunately have to maybe put on blinders to the other issues that you think are really really important that doesn't mean that you don't care about them but it means that you know your advocacy needs to revolve around that one issue so that you don't so that you don't lose focus you know and and then and then samantha's point too she says the the second point she says educate yourself and she said all i knew when i started the angel oak project was this is so wrong i didn't understand stormwater reports or the environmental laws of the land but every step of the way i gathered more scientific and geological evidence that proved me right um, and she, i love this she says it sounds funny but the tree kept guiding me to new ways to protect it What's nice with this book is that you can come to it from any angle, as a, as a fisherman or woman, as a uh, surfer, as an activist. Um, and what really works in the book is, is the art and the illustrations, in, including simple ways of how to tie knots or, you know, how to stay afloat uh, in the open ocean. So um, how did you choose your illustrators and artists? Well, you know, we had um, quite a few options, and um, thank God there are tons of really talented artists and illustrators, and they have different styles, and some people are really good at uh, doing work that's more explanatory and step-by-step, -step, and others are better at doing, or, you know, they specialize in things that are more evocative and, and sort of help build a world and, and uh, you know, create an atmosphere. Um, but it was, you know, I think the the book for me, one of the is that as as David pointed out when he quizzed us, is that there is so much information. It is a density of information in the best way, and it's. I mean, we we had a chapter on food and drink, but we killed it because we were like, we don't need this. We have so much else going on that's so good and it actually sort of you know it's it's a it, it focuses us and so when we began to look at illustrators and and we actually you know chronicle was great as far as collaborating with us and really listening to us and what we wanted um and so we just looked at the, the different things that we needed to illustrate from the most sort of like play-by-play, -play, you know, how do you climb a coconut tree or tie a knot or whatever, to what are the chapter opener paintings going to look like. Um, so we honestly had, I think, and, and who was the cover designer going to be, you know. And I think we probably had four or five um, to choose from for each one. And it, and it wasn't necessarily about who was more talented or not. It was more about having a diversity of styles and how those styles play together. And so we chose, you know, I think, I think actually Chris and I both picked uh, the person who would do the more play-by-play -play illustration stuff first, and then we sort of went from there, who would pair what nicely, you know, and, and yeah, and it just kind of, it, it just all fell into place. And I like the colors, and I, I just want to throw out, like, one of the things I really learned that I didn't know before was what a purple flag meant. <laughs> and I, did you know that, David, what a purple flag meant if you go to a beach? Um, no, what's a purple flag mean? A purple flag means there are animals out there in a, that you don't want to go and encounter. So it, they could be sharks or jellyfish or other dangerous animals. So... I'm so glad that you made this a color 
a color book because that really stood out for me. <laughs> but I, I like swimming in what I call shark enhanced, not infested waters. <laughs> I was just doing that recently. A bunch of box jellies. How's that? Right. <laughs> but shark enhanced. <laughs> David just came back from a dive trip, though. So he was diving with sharks. I love that. Nice. Shark enhanced. He loved it. But, but here's the great thing about a book like this is when we talk about the blue beat um, and encourage other journalists and, and authors to get involved, I would say, you know, the only resource not fully exploited in the ocean is good storytelling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And here you have not just your voices, but the voices of a lot of, of really outstanding uh, folks. And um, did you, how'd you recruit the folks or get permission to use their, uh, their materials for this book? You know, that's classic, that's classic nose to the ground reporting and finding the best people you can possibly find. Like well, the father of wayfinding. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was, that was a, a really fortunate meeting. The Hokulea, you know, the Polynesian voyaging canoe, that, that came to Charleston. And, um, and I went to, you know, along with a lot of other Charlestonians to see it and to talk to the crew. And Bruce Blankenfeld was the captain for that stretch of the, of the journey. And I was um, really uh, stoked to get to talk to him and meet him because, uh, you know, to me, that whole thing is just that whole enterprise is just unbelievable. And and so he was gracious enough. Um, and he had he had mentioned this 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 guy, Mal Pialuk, um, you know, who was uh, from this little tiny island called Satawal and who basically had the keys to the kingdom as far as Polynesian voyaging went and and. And I thought, wow, that would be a really cool way to, uh, you know, to to expand on, um, you know, to, to expand on sailing in a way that that really takes you back to the roots, you know. And then Jeremy interviewed um, Christian Beamish, uh, who I'm not sure if you guys have ever met him, but David, I highly recommend an interview with him. Um, he wrote a book. Uh, and I'll let Jeremy, you can talk about Christian, but he, you know, he, he, he sailed down Baja and I'll, I'll let Jeremy, you know, talk about him. But, um. uh, well, yeah, Christian's one of those fascinating guys who just, uh, he had the ability and the, the, the will to just, uh, you know, uh, embark on something epic that most people don't get to do. And he wrote, you know, he's written about it, uh, you know, at great length, but I, I think that, uh, it's just seeking out these people, and, and honestly, people love to talk about themselves. They love to be <laughs> celebrated, even if they're the most humble, kind, awesome humans on earth. They just, you know, you really, you know, when, when they know that your mission is to help others mm -hmm. and that their example will help others, they love to open up. And so, honestly, I think the answer to that is just that you reach out to great people and you, you show them you appreciate them and you ask them to tell their stories. And, you know, it just goes back to the point about there's not enough storytelling. Um, you know, I mean, my it's, it's funny because before this book was ever a twinkle in either of our, you know, eyes we um we used to talk about uh you know moby dick and how much we love melville mm -hmm. and just the you know when i was in fourth grade i read moby dick and then i read robinson crusoe and you know i started reading all these books and i remember people going what you read moby dick it's like well why 
why wouldn't I? You know, um, why? Because I think so many adults have so much such a hard time getting through it. But I was a kid with a, a brain on fire, and that is, that is still my favorite novel. You know, in any language. Uh, you know, I love Cervantes. I love Shakespeare. You know, I, there are lots of others I love, but but uh, Moby Dick is just it's 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 a great example of it of storytelling that is you know. It's a great American novel and just a great novel, period. But there's, those stories are all out there, and that's what this book is full of. There are so many things that inspire in so many different ways. And, I mean, I had uh, somebody the other day, he said, Man, I wish I had had this when I was a Boy Scout. And I thought, yeah, that's great. But one of the most affecting comments I've had was a mother who told me that it was her daughter's favorite book. And her daughter's, you know, nine um, and she said she got it, and it just, you know, she just couldn't get enough of it. It was like, yes, mission accomplished. <laughs> I think, too. And so why, no, go ahead, David, why would sailors, yeah, just the, the depth of it. Why would sailors throw bananas overboard? Spiders. Because <laughs> bananas, bananas. I love some of your nautical lore. And, and uh, the other, yeah, that, so there was that. And then there was also, if you, bananas were considered bad luck because sailors had to take so many risks to get them to port before they went rotten, um, that, that banana boats were known to sink. And, um, yeah, so that was, <laughs> there's a lot, there's a lot of lore in it. And some of it, you know, is, it is definitely based in, in, uh, in, in reality, and the spiders too. Yes, spiders were there. There could be spiders in the bananas. See, as well. I did read your book. Yes, <laughs> and you know, to rooted in point, rooted in calamity. The people that we that we got essays from, a, a lot of them, um, you know, they they're people who have their own sort of big story in them, I guess, so to speak. You know, they they like Shannon Scaff, the Coast Guard. Um, rescue swimmer that I interviewed. I mean, the, the, the stories that he's told me, you know, outside of, outside of this book of the rescues that he's done, just drop your jaw, you know, and Brian Kailana, um, who I interviewed on panic, you know, take control, take control when panic strikes. Um, you know, his, his, his work is just incredible. Um, and it's real, you know, I mean, he's, he's a heavy duty stunt man. He's a heavy duty Hawaiian lifeguard, um, probably one of the best big wave surfers alive. So we wanted to tap people. Lynn Party is another example um, who has sailed probably more miles than almost any human alive um, with her husband, Larry, and has written a bunch of books about it. You know, we we wanted to we wanted to really talk to the people who had if it was for an essay or for science, we wanted the people to to have had like you know, a lot of, of real experience that they could pass on. Jeremy and I interviewed, um, together, uh, Michael Tipton, who is, uh, he's a survival expert at the university of Portsmouth and his, he, we don't have an essay by him in the book, but we were, we had such a fascinating conversation with him, um, because of all this, all this just deep level work he's done on figuring out how to keep people alive you know, especially in hypothermic um, type conditions and that sort of thing. One of the things that I kept taking away as we're working on the book and, you know, we're, we're editing and we're reviewing and we're looking at what we've done and we're seeing what we think and, you know, what else we need to do is just that 
this will save lives. Mm-hmm. We, it, we will save lives. It's, it's, it's a really good feeling. Yes, like I wrote a book on the Coast Guard Rescue Warriors and seeing the Coast Guard in your book, the comments, it's like so familiar. And I think what's nice about um, your handbook is that there are a hundred other books within it, uh, some written, some yet to be written. But it's like Isaac Dennison said, uh, the cure for anything is salt water, uh, <laughs> sweat, tears, or the sea. And this is a great uh, introduction for anyone to the sea also, as you say, with practical tips that can save lives. I want to thank both of you for joining us. Um, it was great. I hope that lots of people go out and buy your book. I will certainly enjoy mine and think about some holiday gifts for my family and friends and really appreciate your sense of humor, your ability to pull stories out from other people and then share them with us. So it's been a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on Rising Tide. What an honor. Thanks, thank guys. Thank you so much. Rising Tide is a production of Blue Frontier with hosts David Helberg and support from Natasha Benjamin, Ellie Curlow, and myself, Vicki Nichols-Goldstein. Rising Tide's editing services and additional technical support are provided by studio Kate May of San Diego, California. The theme song is written and performed by Ethan Kenbar. You can find Rising Tide, the ocean podcast at www.bluefront.org or download it anytime from Apple, Google, or Spotify. Off in the salty ocean, off where the waves roll free, the sparkling water rises, then crashes to the sea. Out amongst the breakers, you'll have no need to fear. It's true, it's the blue frontier. Tear, Salty ocean, off to the blue frontier. Sparky, come here, buddy. Sparky, there you are. Good boy, Sparky.